From the AMF Podcast Studios, I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. So there were a couple of things that caught our attention recently that Abby and I wanted to um, talk about. One is not surprisingly related to COVID, um, and the other is on an entirely different topic, but something that comes up in our practice fairly regularly, and that's lockout tagout. But uh, before we get to that, Abby, why don't you talk about the the new national emphasis program, or at least give us an intro in into it, because we can cover that. I think we'll want to cover that at a at a subsequent episode. Yeah, there's a lot here. I mean, it's a so on March 12, 2021, OSHA. Um, published a national emphasis program for COVID-19, um, and it took effect on March 12, 2021. So we've been talking about COVID a lot on this podcast, and uh, we're going to take a break today and talk about lockout tagout, but we'll cover this uh, in some depth, probably in our next episode. So speaking of COVID, Abby, what did you do this afternoon? I got my COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> Very good. How'd it go? It was great. It was great. I wasn't expecting to be able to get it this early, um, but you know, it's due to your advanced age. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm glad I did. I went to the Montgomery County um, Health Department uh, mass COVID vaccine site down at the uh, Dayton Convention Center. It was super well organized, and I was really impressed. And I uh, saw lots of young people there, so that was good. I wasn't sure if younger people would be interested in getting it. Yep. Um, since we all feel like Superman at that age, but. Well, now in Ohio, anybody 16 and older can, can get it without any medical reason or without any real need to get it, except for just that you want to get it. Right. Right. Yep. Which is good. I think we're one of the first states to, um, to have so, uh, so much of our population included in the vaccination program. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I haven't, I don't know. I haven't looked lately at what other states are doing, but that seems to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got my vaccination a couple, two or three weeks ago and looking forward to immunity or whatever I get from it. <laughs> Hopefully immunity. Yeah. Or at least, at least, you know, immunity or some sense of security that you're not going to wind up in the hospital or dead. You might get sick, but. Right, right. Yeah. I hope I don't, if I get sick, I just hope I don't get somebody else sick. Yep. Okay, so um, let's turn to this this other uh, scary topic. Speaking of scary things, um, I recently read a news release from OSHA about lockout tagout, and it in- involved a an Ohio company, which is a fairly big company, and it's a it's an important employer um, in in the state of Ohio. I don't know if they exist elsewhere um, or not. And this involves a a problem or an alleged problem with lockout tagout. So. Um, I thought it would be good for us just to generally talk about this this topic. This isn't going to be an exhaustive safety review for lockout tagout, but Abby and I thought it would be a good idea just to um, introduce this topic and talk about generally when is it when does lockout tagout come into play? When do, what generally do employers need to do? Uh, but as always, remember you need to be talking with your with a, a safety professional or an attorney, and at the very least, going to the OSHA website um, to get information about it. 
So uh, let me just begin by, by reading a little bit of the beginning of this, of this news release. The date is March 3rd, 2021, and the headline is OSHA cites BEF Foods, Inc.'s Lima facility after production worker suffers partial an- arm amputation from cleaning auger. While cleaning an auger used to rice potatoes, a 39-year-old production worker found her arm caught in a running auger. The worker suffered multiple lacerations and the partial amputation of her arm. Coworkers had to cut the auger apart to free her arm. An investigation in September 2020 by the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration determined that BEF Foods, Inc., failed to shut down and isolate energy to the auger during maintenance work, a process known as lockout-tagout. The company, which operates as Bob Evans Farms, also failed to train employees on the required use of lockout-tagout procedures when conducting maintenance activity. So that really got my attention. And actually, the next paragraph did too, because it said, it says OSHA has proposed penalties of $136,532 for two wow. repeat violations. Repeats. Mm. Yeah. So that's um that's some serious that's some serious money. And of course, that's a very serious injury that their that their employee had. And um, I know, Abby, that you and I have both encountered a number of these situations, and it's not just our our own clients, but you know, we um, are aware of of lockout tagout, alleged lockout tagout violations and real lockout tagout violations all over the country. So I thought that maybe we should just talk a little bit about what exactly is lockout tagout um, and what employers need to be doing to um, to make sure that you are abiding by the the standard. And if you're interested in actually reading the standard, even though I think I've promised before that we weren't going to do legal citations here. If you wanted to look this up, the lockout tagout standard, which is known as the control of hazardous energy, um, it's located at 20, 29 CFR 1910.147. Do you just want to briefly just define kind of what you understand it to be? Yeah, sure. So the idea behind lockout tagout or is OSHA calls it a control of hazardous energy. But the idea is to protect employees from a machine or piece of equipment becoming energized while they're performing service or maintenance on it. Um, so the standard is designed to have employers disconnect all sources of power, whether that's electro- electric or hydraulic or pneumatic, so that that can't happen um, during service and maintenance. And there are some exceptions to it, too. Um, like there's a, a minor service exception. So if you're just doing sort of um, like a minor adjustment or um, something like during along a production line, run. during a production run, yeah, it has to, the, the key, the three key things are routine, repetitive, and integral. So it has to be a routine, repetitive, and in, integral to production. So you can do those things without locking out, assuming you have alternate protection for your employee. But as a rule, if you're going to uh, shut down machine to do service or maintenance on it, you've got to lock it out under the standard. Yeah. So when I first started learning about this issue, um, it, it, I mean, at first it seems sort of daunting because there's a lot there that employers are required to do and, and to know. And of course there's all kinds of training requirements to make sure that their employees are aware of, of, of how to do this procedure. But 
it you can understand it or I understood it quite simply just as the it's not always mechanical but as a mechanical means to literally cut off the power um, to de-energize the device and if you're talking about electrical um, power then you need some way to ensure that the machine or the press or the conveyor or whatever it is is de-energized and then the uh, operator of the machine needs to literally actually put a turn de-energize and then literally actually put a lock through the um if there's a switch for example or whatever it is the mechanism that they use to de-energize the, the device you put a lock there and you lock it so that the device cannot be re-energized it, it physically actually blocks the device from being re-energized. And then the operator uh, hangs a tag with their name on it to indicate that they are, and a tag that indicates that they are working on the machine in some way. And then they take the key and then they have control of the lock and nobody can come later and turn the machine back on when they're working on it, which could result in a significant and and serious energy. Uh, injury. So in your experience, where do you see employers uh, going wrong on this? Or where do you see the most, like, what's the most common type of violation you see with this? In my experience, I I don't think I've ever seen an employer that's been cited for a lockout tagout problem. I, I don't see them being cited because they don't have lockout tagout procedures or they don't have a lockout tagout program. And that, by the way, is the first thing that they have to have. You got to have a lockout tagout program that explain that ha- that designates all the procedures and the methods for the employees to do do the lockout tagout. My experience is that the employers have lockout tagout programs, but that the employees, for whatever reason, aren't following it. And in fact, I saw a statistic that said it was a Bureau of Labor statistic, 80% of the injuries that occur as a result of a failure to follow the lockout tagout standards occur not because there was no lockout tagout program or procedure, but because the employee simply didn't follow the lockout tagout program, in which case then that opens up the employer to a citation for a, a failure to train. Yeah. Have you seen that also? Yeah. I mean, employee misconduct is, is huge. So, you know, I I think the only way to combat that is with your, your disciplinary program, which I feel like maybe is a whole separate episode. Um, But yeah, I I think employee misconduct is huge. I think the the kind of the two other things I see um, you mentioned training and I, sometimes see employers that don't correctly distinguish between different types of employees for lockout tagout training. So like you've got your authorized employees who actually do the locking out uh, and then perform the service. And then you've got the employees who work on the machine, but they don't do the maintenance and the service. And there are two different types of employees. Are those the affected employees? employees, Yeah. And then there's another group of employees who just work around equipment that's locked out and they need to know not to try to, you know, unlock it. So I see employers failing to distinguish between those three types of employees and just doing like one big mass training for all of them at once. And and that's really not the way to do it. Um, And then sort of along the same lines as they don't have 
they'll have a lockout tagout program, but not machine specific procedures. So they'll, you know, have just one sort of lockout tagout program. This is, you know, it says this is what it is and this is why it's important. But then for their individual machines, they don't have specific procedures um, for locking them out or they haven't trained people in those specific procedures. So those are kind of the two other issues I see. So that reminds me of a situation where an employer had a really great safety program. And despite their best efforts, um, an employee ignored their great safety program. On the very first day um, that this one particular employee came into the facility, they were walked around to every single machine on the, in the facility, on this facility floor. And they were trained in all of the different, there weren't that many machines, but they were trained in the, the specific lockout tag out procedures for each of those different machines. Mm-hmm. And that was the normal course. It was part of the training. Like the first day they did nothing but orientation and safety training. And that's what they did every day or the first day for every new employee. And, uh, and I was very impressed by that. And, and, uh, uh, and it was it uh, until this particular individual that they hired who um, had other kinds of issues until he came around, this would have been a very effective way to, um, to keep the employee safe and to train them in the lockout tagout procedures for the different machines, just as you said. Yeah. I'm aware of another case where it actually uh, is an employer that had augers as well. And for those of you who don't know, augers are um, essentially devices used to move um, material like powders and um, like crushed things. Okay. So for example, with the um, Bob Evans, their auger was used to, um, to move, I think it was potatoes or, or riced potatoes, which is going to be tiny little pieces of, of potato that might go into like a um, mashed potato product or some, something of that nature. So anyway, mashed uh, potatoes are excellent, by the way, we don't represent <laughs> Bob Evans, but they are a staple in our household because, you know, you just pop them in the microwave and they're perfect. I totally agree. And that's <laughs> actually one of the reasons why this news story caught my attention because yeah. I'm a big fan of Bob Evans. Yeah. Sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, it's a, it's a very good point that absolutely needed to be made. So um, anyway, so in this situation, there was a there was an auger, and this auger moved um, this crushed powder material, uh, formerly solid, and then it was crushed into a powder, and it dumped it into down a chute, into the back of a of a big dump truck, and this chute on the auger was about I think it was about eighteen to twenty feet above the shop floor and and as i said it it was directly above the open bed of this of this dump truck and for some reason an employee who was a fairly experienced employee decided that it would be a good idea to climb up on top of the truck and stand on top of the cab actually had to get a ladder climb the ladder jump step on top of the cab of the dump truck and then stick his hand into the chute of the auger because he saw, he thought he saw something caught up there, like flapping around. 
and of course, when he stuck his hand in it, it immediately um, injured his hand uh, fairly severely. And uh, OSHA came in and inspected, and they cited the employer for a lockout tagout violation. The problem was that that the locks for the lockout tagout program were located about 15 feet away from where this truck was located. They were right there. There was a box on the wall that the employee had been trained to use. And, um, and, and frankly, he should have known better. But what happened with that guy, I think, is the same thing that happens with a lot of people who get in these situations. And that is that you think that what you're about to do is no big deal and it's just going to take a second. Whereas if you lock out the machine and go through all those procedures, it's going to take an awful long time. And maybe somebody's waiting for you or somebody's waiting for the truck and it's just not a, not a big deal. And so you, you, in a very, in a split second, you make a horrible decision um, and you kind of toss away your, um, your training. And then of course, um, it results in an injury. So I see lots of situations just like that. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. And so employee misconduct. Yeah, I agree. That's a, a huge problem. And it's also a, a potential defense if you are cited by OSHA, um, depending on, I mentioned your disciplinary program earlier, but if, if, you know, if you have everything lined up correctly, then employee misconduct is potentially a defense. Um, actually, another defense that I see I, it, a problem that I see with lockout tagout is sometimes OSHA will want come in and, and cite you for lockout tagout and they'll want you to do certain things that are just not feasible. They'll want you to lock out a machine under circumstances that you just, it's, it can't be done. Um, like a, an example would be, I'm familiar with a, a situation where uh, an employer had a machine that required wire to be fed into it. And this wire was fed into it through feed rollers. So like if you picture a wheel sitting on top of another wheel and they're both spinning in the same direction and in between these two wheels, you've got a piece of wire and those spinning wheels are what is feeding wire into the machine. Kind of, it's kind of like, um, you know, those football launchers that you see where the wheels are spinning and you put a football in there and they shoot the football forward. Yes. That's exactly what I was picturing as you were talking. Yeah. So they had these and they're called feed rollers and depending on what they were making with this wire, they would have to use different gauges of wire. And every time they changed the gauge of the wire, they had to change the feed rollers. Um, But in order to get the feed rollers off, of the machine, they had to have hydraulic power to separate them. Otherwise you'd have to take, literally take like a crowbar or some type of like mechanical force to to pry these things off of there, which just isn't practical. So they had to have this hydraulic power to the machine, but OSHA wanted them to completely lock it out when they were performing this change, um, when they were changing out these wheels or these feed rollers. So, if the employer had accepted a lockout tagout citation in that situation, um, even for a very small penalty, the problem would have been that they would have had to abate that citation and then live with 
OSHA telling them they can't lock out or they can't have hydraulic power to these, these wheels when they're going to change them. And that would have completely shut down their production process because literally every single, almost every single machine they had, had these rollers on it. So, you know, I think OSHA tends to look at these as very black and white issues, but if you get cited by OSHA, you've got to think about not only what the penalty is, but also what they're asking you to do to fix the alleged problem, because it might be a problem that you can't fix. This might be a, a machine that you can't lock out in the way that OSHA wants you to. Yeah, that's a great point. One that I think is often overlooked. I agree. Yeah. Well, that was all that uh, we had in mind today. Just wanted to um, talk briefly about lockout tagout because it is something that we see um, fairly regularly in our practice. So if you have questions about that, as I've um, already said today, make sure that you talk to a, a safety professional. You can contact an attorney. Uh, and of course, take a look at the OSHA website. There's lots of um, information available on the website, including a um, like a PDF brochure or booklet that they uh, that they put out, which um, fairly extensively explains what these requirements are. But remember, um, as always, we are lawyers, but we're not your attorneys, at least not while we're on this podcast. So thank you very much for listening, and we will talk with you soon.